There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? I see a bad moon falling. I see trouble on the way. I see Americ a writing. I see bad times today. Yes, we're here for the final entry in our disaster porn, and this movie certainly puts the disaster in disaster porn. Not much in the way of porn, though, so fly us to the moon and let us play among the stars. The few that are in this movie, anyway. Ooh. This, this harvest moon isn't so much shining on as it is sputtering. Drift along this moon river with us as we moon dance our way into your hearts. But don't be blue, moon. We'll fall with you. And oh, God, I can't. I just can't. I can't believe you left me with another Roland Emmerich cinematic bowel movement. But don't worry. This episode is brought to you by Elon Musk for all your musky Elon needs. Do you want to smell like the Elon to be like the Elon? No? Good. I'm your slowly disintegrating host, Max Levine, and over there presenting his own full moon to the microphone is Mike Luce. I'm presenting. <laughs> Don't look it up. It's disgusting. Yes, but before we get to this kidney stone, let it, we have a poll question to discuss. Question. Ah, Did you better. like the movie, Max? <laughs> it's a secret! <laughs> we asked 30 Helens, what is your favorite Hollywood comeback? My favorite Hollywood comeback is, yes, yeah, so's your old man. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, our, our listeners understood it better than I did. Yeah. Tyler Stewart says, John Travolta. Pulp mm. Fiction is the first to come to mind. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Geneva Brunetti says, I'll always have a soft spot for Mickey Rooney. Hard to pinpoint a specific comeback that I've personally experienced in my lifetime anyway. I'm familiar with his history. But I'm definitely a fan of him as an actor and character, especially his cameos. Mike Dan says, RDJ as Iron Man. Ooh, aren't you hip? <laughs> Just made the character his own and ran with it and launched an entire universe. He did. Yeah. Dave Mackman Says, I agree with Geneva, except I don't think he really does. The wrestler <laughs> was a completely unexpected and fabulous comeback, in my view. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Mickey Rooney? I think Dave means Mickey Rourke. I can, wait, did, I think he's actually in the ring for three seconds, <laughs> screams, oh my hip, falls over and dies. <laughs> that would do it. Uh, Dave continues, after researching, I would like to say the Philadelphia story for Catherine Hepburn Huh. But I was not aware that she ever needed a comeback, and it is not my favorite of hers. In contrast, the wrestler came to mind immediately, so that's my answer. I would think On Golden Pond might be considered a quote-unquote comeback. Maybe. But even I don't. she never really stopped working. Yeah. No, I'm in the loons! <laughs> <laughs> Dave goes on to say, Basti says he liked Hugh Grant in The Undoing as the first solid bad guy performance that Hugh has managed since saying he would not do romantic comedies. Not really said by Basti, uh, who, by the way, may or may not be a small dog. It is a small dog. It's yep. his corgi. Yep, but by <laughs> Why someone is else corgi in my house- writing answers? Uh, but it was by someone else in my household who found the question intriguing but did not want to be named. Oh, it's his other dog. Okay. Uh, apparently. That well, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Regan McStravick says, don't know if the comeback can be considered complete yet, and I haven't seen The Whale, but i got to go with Brendan Fraser, if only because he used to be a student of mine. Oh, wow, no kidding. I've always been a cheerleader for his career. Yeah, go Brendan. Cool. Yeah, I like Brendan Fraser. Charles Forsyth says, I'm really loving Fraser. I assume he means Brendan. He's not talking about, like, Kelsey Grammer's character in Doom Patrol. <laughs> oh, I would love to see Kelsey Grammer in Wouldn't Doom Wouldn't that be awesome seeing Fraser Crane in Doom Patrol? <laughs> so tell me, why is it you decided that crime was okay? <laughs> that, yes, that's right, Robot Man. I'm listening. <laughs> Pal, listen to cue footsteps, you fools. Coons says, <laughs> nice I've plug. got two... Michael J. Fox and Neil Patrick Harris. Apparently she likes people with three names. Mm. Uh, Michael went from a huge teen character to a huge teen character. True, but they were different teen characters. And I really liked Spin City. 
Neil hmm. Patrick Harris has gone so far beyond Doogie Hauser, it's almost like the character never existed. But it did, and we'll never let him forget. <laughs> uh, she hey, goes on. The man showed up in his underpants on the, the Oscars, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she also goes on to say I, another one I want to throw in there Howard Duff, inventor of the duffel bag. He was blacklisted by the House on American Activity Committee. Uh, being married to Ida Lupino was a big factor in getting his career back, but he was also a good actor. Cool. Oh, neat. Uh, Tyler Stewart chimes in again with, ooh, NPH for the win. Yeah, good old NPH. Uh, Matthew Reisman says, I think comebacks are more impressive for women, and so I'd say Winona Ryder. Yeah, that's kind of that's true. Basically, once a woman hits 35 in Hollywood, she only goes and plays grandmothers. But then she showed back up and stole her way into our hearts. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, yeah, she, sorry. She, she shoplifted her way back into the culture. Um, I was a little subtler than you were. But Nona Ryder is a thief. Um, hey! Her <laughs> medication was off that day. That's yeah. all. Or Adam something. Park says, <laughs> and uh, strap in because Adam's written quite a treatise here. Oh. The quintessential example is Gloria Swanson. Oh, oh, that's an mm. interesting one. She made it big in the 20s, then faded from the limelight. Then she played basically a parody-slash-horrifying version of herself, but in on the joke, earning herself cinematic immortality in Sunset Boulevard. She Ugh. basically films her own comeback as yeah, part of the much. story. <laughs> well, that and when she appears on the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Liz Taylor's Cleopatra, 1963, was largely known for budget overruns, it almost bankrupted 20th Century Fox. Overdone sets, Liz set a wardrobe change that would not be beaten until a 1996 film. Answer at the end if you're interested. And Liz's affair with co-star and married Richard Burton, not married to her at the time, yet again. <laughs> uh, with that role, she became known more for her then-scandalous romance instead of her obvious talent. Um... Obvious talent. Okay. We might discuss that at some point That's on Max point. movies, just not yeah. right now. The Angelina Jolie of her age. Liz Taylor came roaring back into Hollywood with a comeback for the ages, winning her second Academy Award for a performance opposite Burton as the angry but vulnerable Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. See our previous episode on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. In 1950, Ingrid Bergman was at the top of her game. Then she met Roberto Rossellini, and during filming his Stromboli... Ooh, I love Strombolis. Uh, released after the revelation that she was having an affair with Rossellini and was pregnant with his child while not Oops. married. Gasp. <laughs> Despite her prior Best Actress win, she couldn't get a job in Hollywood, so she fled to Europe for several years and was seemingly banished from Hollywood. Then, in a move that could not have been scripted better as if it, uh, if it were written, Bergman came back swinging with Anastasia in 1956, a role about identity and the meaning of home, winning her second Academy Award for Best Actress. A mm. comeback for the ages. Cool. Wow. And it's Ingrid, so... Very thorough. vote yes. for that. And she was pregnant with Isabella Rossellini, so I think we can all forgive her anything. <laughs> From the frozen tundra in the north, which is, as far as I know, all that Canada is, we have Vince. Says, I have a soft spot for Robert Downey Jr., whose career was all but dead after, after his drug problems, but Iron Man put all that behind him. Neil Patrick Harris wasn't doing much after his TV show ended, but has become a sort of super cute Swiss Army knife of a performer, being able to <laughs> sing, dance, act, and talk telepathically to giant alien bugs. It's <laughs> a very good point about Starship Troopers. That was those were terrific, Mike. They were. Who's your favorite comeback kid? Um, the sad thing is, is that I would like to pick a woman because women in Hollywood, as you pointed out, get the short end of the stick. After they hit 30, suddenly they apparently they can't act and nobody's interested in them, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And so few women have been able to keep working and they have to do a comeback. And I wish I could pick somebody off the top of my head like that, um, because the, I, I don't think that they get nearly enough credit. Which is one of the reasons it was so much fun to do the series on Viola Davis, because she just she keeps going and she gets better, which yeah. is amazing. Um, I do have soft spots for both RDJ and NPH. RDJ especially because he overcame, he basically overcame Hollywood. Hollywood in some cases does its best to destroy people. And fame is a really, really destructive force in a lot of people's lives. And it certainly was with his. And he basically just hit rock bottom. And 
not only did he get over that, sought help, recovered, is in recovery, etc., I think he also is a much better actor now than he was then. And if we didn't have Iron Man, I don't honestly don't think we'd have the MCU. And now I'm not saying that he was the only reason, but let's face it, when we went to see that movie, we were watching him. Yeah. Not even the special effects. He blew it away. He knocked it out of the park. And NPH, two things happened to him. One, um, they dropped. Two, he... He came out and was able to be himself and comfortable with himself. And he's a delight. Like, he is good at making fun of himself. He's a song and dance man, which he certainly wasn't when he was Doogie. Um, He was really sinister in Starship Troopers. So he's also developed quite a range since he's no longer a child actor. And he seems to be a much better person, too. I didn't know anything about him when he was a kid, but he's somewhat of an activist. He's funny. I like him. Yeah. How about you? Who's your favorite comeback? I got a couple. One is someone who is, I don't know if he, he kind of wrecked himself. That was Mickey Rourke. I got to go with the Dave on that. Oh, I loved him in uh, that movie with uh, Judy Garland. What was that? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, babes, in, yeah, babes in Arms. Um, okay, right. Now, he, because he was supposed to be the Hollywood pretty boy with things like Pope of Greenwich Village and nine and a half weeks, uh, eight and a half, some number of weeks, that one he did with the... Uh, I think it was Kim Basinger. I think it's nine and a half because I think there's a movie called Eight and a Half. Eight and a Half, yeah, it's in nine and a half weeks. Then he decided, I want to be a boxer, and he got his face ruined. Yep. And for a long time, he he was nothing. So he and he came back as like a kind of hardcore badass, you know, coming back not just the wrestler but Sin City and a bunch of others. Yeah. And uh, I I think he, uh, he really pulled it out. The one who I really like it. I'm glad you brought up about women is Betty White. Okay. Because Betty White disappeared for a long time after Mary Tyler Moore. She came back with the Golden Girls, and then she basically became the darling of the internet, mm. and and was everywhere. And uh, she was just wonderful, mm. and just also seemed like a really nice person. So Betty White, I think, is my favorite uh, comeback kid. Cool. Well, regardless, y'all have outdone yourselves once again. Yep. Love your answers. We always do. Yep. Love the thought you put into these. My goodness. And we love it so much that we just are aching for more. We've so, got to. We'd... Max, could you give them some sort of bait that'll get uh, them to come back and give us more of those great answers? Tell me this, people. What is your favorite movie that is usually designated a cult movie? Basically, huh. what's your favorite cult movie, even if you don't think of it as a cult movie? Hmm. And do, the... do we have a definition on cult? or uh, One that would make you drink a lot of Kool-Aid. Well, none of those people are going to answer, are they? Because they're all dead. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. You, you, right. you know what a cult movie is. Movies that get shown only at midnight. Movies that have a very small but dedicated uh, audience. Movies that most mainstream audiences go, why would you watch that? And more <laughs> importantly, why would you watch that so many times? You mean uh, like the genetic opera? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the genetic <laughs> opera. Like Rocky Horror. Yeah. There well, are many. There are so many that we can't wait to hear from you about what yours is, and yes. we'll hear from you in those usual ways. But yes, in the secret ways we will someday tell you about, but they're a secret. They're not. They're at the end of the show, just like but they've you know always what, been. But you know what isn't a secret? No. The facts. Budget, $150 million. Wow, I'm so Guess surprised. how much money it made. $150 million. Try 67. Yay! It Finally. tanked at the box office. In fact, if you include all of the, the money for marketing and promotion and all the rest, it literally lost as much money as it cost. <laughs> it was a complete wash. So that's $300 million down the tubes, huh? In effect. Ooh. And this is a big deal because this was supposed to be the first of a trilogy. What? <laughs> yeah. He wanted to do two more. About what? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we, I, I have an idea, and the last line of the movie kind of is a sequel bag. We'll get to that. Okay. This Ooh. is one of the most expensive independently financed movies ever produced. This was independent. This was an indie <laughs> So wait, what you're saying is a number of people 
high up in the Hollywood chain of command, looked at this and said, no. Yeah, hard to okay. believe, isn't it? They actually said no to something, especially from Roland Emmerich, who usually makes a ton of money. Yeah, see, now, two of the episodes of this series. They had a real astronaut, I don't know which one, I think he didn't want his name used, on, per, <laughs> on set as an advisor. But whenever he would walk up to Roland Emmerich and say, that's really not possible, they just told him to roll with it because it's just a movie. Well, we know who the astronaut was. We who? see him on screen. It's Fuzz Aldrin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and now we know that he keeps missing the litter box. Uh, <laughs> Donald Sutherland yeah. gets prominent billing in this movie. His yeah. name is, I think, before the title in the credits. Good for him. He gets his own and starring entry. He's on screen. In one two-minute scene, and that's it. And did you get the impression that he got it? He was still in his wheelchair. That he turned his wheelchair and did his best to get the hell out of the movie. <laughs> I also <laughs> think he had it in his contract. I don't want to have to stand up for this. <laughs> I just and I don't. also want to make sure, since there's apparently sequels planned, my character. I want it to be seen that there is no way I can show up in the sequels. Yeah. <laughs> the end credit song, which I'm sure you stuck around to listen to. Oh, yeah, my well, one, uh, thing broke. It's One More Time by Luca Closer. Uh, how did she get this? Well, her father, Harold Closer, co-wrote the film's score, and he snuck the song into the credits and decided to keep it once he saw, and I use this term loosely, approval from test audiences. Well, of course, you know those two are really big coffee drinkers, because coffee is for closers. It, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> We almost had a connection to another movie, not a, not just Roland Emmerich, but another movie in this series, and that Stanley Tucci was in the core, was mm. supposed to be in this. He was supposed to play Larry, Michael Pena's character. Uh, sure. uh, the obnoxious husband uh, who sold the... Uh, oh, Larry, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lexus salesman. But sadly, due to complications caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, he couldn't travel to production in Canada. Bullet... Dodged. Due to overwhelming taste, Stanley Tucci yeah. will not be appearing tonight. <laughs> in, one, in one scene, Casey points out that <sighs> during the Apollo 12 mission, the, when they crashed a fuel pod into the moon, the moon rang like a bell. This is true, by the way. How? There's no air. They result, there were shallow kind of moon quakes that were picked up by lunar seismographs for almost an hour. It was translated by the seismographs as the sound of a bell. Okay. That's it. It wasn't because it was made of metal and hollow. Well, 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 boy, will we get to that. Yeah. <laughs> the early sequence featuring Harper's family packing up and loading a moving truck while he's being grilled by government officials was a reshoot after initial filming had wrapped. Because the audience didn't understand what had happened after the space accident, so they had to add the exposition to answer the questions that don't come clear in that scene. Exposition. Yeah, we'll be getting back to that, yeah, too. Yeah. When Casey presents information to a little to his bunch of conspiracy nerds, Oswald did it! The yeah. wallpaper is the same wallpaper from The Shining. Yeah. This is probably a little nod to the old rumor that the moon landing was faked and directed by Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. Stanley Tucci. <laughs> Huge shock here. The film, this masterpiece was shot in 61 days. That many, huh? With two added later for reshoots. Halle Berry said she took the role because it related to the odd times in which we find ourselves living in the COVID pandemic. Normally, big disaster movies like this are movies that people seem to gravitate toward because of our fascination about the end of the world and what that would look like. She added that since the pandemic is so much a part of our everyday life, it's more relatable now. The script would have resonated with her in a very different way if that had not been the case. Um, Halle, well, j just admit it. You got a huge paycheck. I, That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Her kid needed college tuition. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to her later. The moon's orbit being altered and chunks of the moon falling to Earth is, by the way, the same plot line as the opening of Flash Gordon in 1980. <laughs> it is. Lightus, I'm bored. Yep. Ming the Merciless alters the moon's orbit. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> go, Flash, go. Yeah. <laughs> Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. 
<laughs> this Ming's a psycho. And we could do yep, this may be an episode on its own. One of the many problems. <laughs> when they get this you don't remember the sequence where they're getting the canisters from the fire station so they can yes. breathe? Yeah. They keep saying it's all oxygen. Firefighting breathing apparatus <laughs> is full of compressed breathable air. And why pure, is that? Because pure <laughs> oxygen is explosive. <laughs> it blow. It, it's it's flammable. You don't want to run around with that on your back. <sighs> there were two scenes in which Halle Berry forgot her lines and had to ad lib. Good for her. Once when talking to the crew that the mission would be a failure and thanking them for their service, and another when she said, I'm just not even going to say it. <laughs> Given the rest of the script, good on you, Hallie. Forgot or wouldn't. <laughs> the film originally ended with the survivors looking up at the new moon, but that was too much close to twilight. But an editor suggested <laughs> they add more Hausman. That's Casey. Huh? It, quote, it oh. makes people happy and it offers them the chance to tease a sequel that will never happen. This uh, was a very prescient editor. Sure. During the flight chase inside the moon, Casey mentions ludicrous mode. <laughs> That's a reference to the Tesla car mode of the same name. Uh, and due to the number of times Casey has praised Elon Musk throughout the film. Uh, That's actually a reference to Spaceballs and Dark Helmets' ship's ability to travel at ludicrous speed. I gotta figure... The Elon must have donated some money to this because, uh, boy, is this a bit of a love poem to him. And yet again, we find we had, it's impossible to escape from Robot Monster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's other stuff, but who cares, really? <laughs> no, do tell us the story, though. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, your job. <laughs> it's my job. Because I, I made you. I hate my job. No, you don't. I hate everything. <laughs> the moon is falling. Chicken Little was off by only one celestial body. <sighs> we start off with astronauts doing space stuff. Halle Berry, who is probably in this movie as part of some sort of community service bargain play, uh, is up with her buddy Brian, Patrick Wilson. Another, and another guy whose job it is to die quickly when the smoke monster from Lost suddenly shows up <laughs> and murders him for some reason. But evil bureaucrats cover it up for some reason. But here comes Casey Hausman, John Sam Tarley Bradley, to tell you all, you spaceship moon conspiracy theorists, that yes, you were right, have a free bagel. By the way... There are spaceship moon conspiracy theorists. We'll get to oh, that. Oh, dear God. Turns out the moon is hollow, and KC has touched the sky. Oh, that was in my notes, too. <laughs> and not just hollow, but full of alien technology that wants to corrupt our precious bodily fluids or something. Oh, yeah, and Brian has a son who has daddy issues, despite the fact that daddy's still around, and Halle Berry has an adorable son who suffers from a terrible condition that drains away all personality. <laughs> oh, and he has a hot nanny played by singer Kelly Yu, because why not? <laughs> the moon is now getting closer, and Leon's getting larger. So Halle Berry, Brian, and Casey come up with a cunning plan that involves casting off all vestiges of pesky realism by flying a museum piece space shuttle to the moon on about five minutes' notice to drop a big bomb. <laughs> To kill the alien smoke monster before the naughty American military shoot all their nukes at the moon, which is a bad thing. But it turns out things are more complicated than they thought. How? <laughs> Sorry, it turns out that yes, the moon is an artificial megastructure, but it's also the reason human beings exist. Like the engineers in Prometheus, Boo. and it's fighting a fiendish thingy that's basically Skynet crossed with Fred Saberhagen's berserkers, and a bunch of other ripped-off stuff. Sacrifices are made. Lives are lost. The moon will help us. KC <laughs> ends up in the Matrix. The day is saved, and my central cortex has melted down. Thank goodness having the moon basically scrape against the Earth has no lasting effects whatsoever. <laughs> Hooray for the moon, friend of all children. <laughs> <sighs> The film. So, Max. Yeah? 
I can I can answer this question because I was there. When did you see this film? Oh, that's right, earlier our land of last year with me. Yeah, but mere months ago, and I had and I the scars have still not uh, healed. Then <laughs> I had to I had to rip them open again. Thank you so bloody much. Do you know where you heard about it from? Oh boy, yes, I heard about it from a mutual friend of ours named Libby, who was very into disaster porn, which is where oh. I got the title for this series. Now. Did she recommend it as such, or did she just she mention said it, it? She thought it was hilarious. She said, you might oh. like it, it's really funny. Okay. <laughs> Unintentionally so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's meant to be funny. Um, and it actually it made me angry. Uh, yes. Yeah, but we'll uh, we'll get, we'll get there. to the anger later. So let's let's the, the acting part's not going to at least for me is not going to yeah, take very long. That's not much to say because there aren't a lot ha- of actors in this. But Halle Berry. Yeah. What a waste. Seriously, I'm sorry. Oscar-winning Halle Oscar Berry. Oscar-winner Halle Berry. I don't. I don't know what happens. Halle Berry seems to be one of those actors who doesn't recognize terrible scripts. This is a woman who not only won an Oscar, she also won the Razzie for worst performance in a movie for Catwoman. Yeah, I didn't see it. And I will. I, this is something I will. Why I will always love Halle Berry. She showed up to collect her Razzie. Ooh. At, at, the the whole the whole what is it hasty pudding club just uh, just worships her now. Ah, uh, so now did you see Catwoman? I did. Here's my question: Is she actually bad in it, or is it just a bad movie? It's hard to say. The script is so terrible, but you do get the feeling about a qu- three quarter no about a quarter of the way, and she just gives up. Okay, this movie he- she gave up at the beginning. But here's the thing. I don't think she disgraces herself no, at all. No, now, she, some of her dialogue... Oh, boy. Her dialogue is terrible, but yeah. she's tr- she's making some effort. Although, I do I do have in my notes at one point when some, like, some disaster has happened and the first shuttle I send up explodes and people die and she's looking at the screen and I have, Halle Berry is mildly concerned. Because <laughs> yeah. she's just like, huh, that happened. But it's one of those films that, at least to me, she's developed this professional, and this is going to sound way too, like, I don't know, uh, icky and sciencey and stuff. She's developed this oily-like coating <laughs> that will allow this film to slip off her and not affect her career at all. I hope all. so. I really hope that's true. Because, again, she doesn't disgrace herself. Some of the things she says, the fact that they have a take where she's not laughing her buns off yeah. is amazing. And... You know, if I were of a different persuasion, I would say, you know what? She's still really nice to look at. I am of that persuasion, and she's still really hot. But she's got this confidence, and she's got this poise that is not... presence. Yeah, she's great. I, I... don't care about this film. She, if she's in something after this, I'll go watch her again, because I really like her. Patrick Wilson, this is my note. What if Chris Pratt and Michael Keaton had a child? (laughs) I was looking at him going, first off, he looks like nine other actors, but do you know where no. we saw him before? No, because he looks so much like Chris Pratt, I couldn't help but yeah. think, is Chris sick today? Is he yeah. okay? <laughs> is Chris sick and lost a lot of hair? He was yeah. owl. He was the owl man in uh, the Watchmen movie. Uh, okay, that's Yeah, I again, he that. had no personality in that either. No. And that, the, he's... The, He's a mediocre actor at best, at, I think. Yeah, he's he's B-list, and that's being generous. And it's, well, we're going to, in a way, we're going to come back to him, but uh, yeah. John Bradley, the only yeah. good thing in this entire film. Yep, he's adorable in this. He is. And, and he's, he's not, he's a little, he's very much a stereotype. He's very much a cliche, but mm-hmm. he's almost believable as a person. He, yes, you know, and you like him. He is likable, and I, you can relate to him, and he's just so cute. And he rises above this horrible material, Yeah, makes it his own, and we, I don't know, I never, like, sneered at him for the stuff he was saying because it wasn't any less ridiculous or more ridiculous than anything else going on in the film. And the fact that he's basically telling us what turns out to be true, it's like, sure, I, I don't know. I just liked him. Yeah. He was great. He's also the only character I feel at all bad for. All these mm. other characters are supposed to be going through these things. Sure. Uh, Brian's a dis- all disgraced because they're blaming him for the death of whatever Something. that guy's name was at the beginning. We don't know. We don't Guy. care. Yeah. Uh, we're worried about that. And we're 
we're supposed to worry about Halle Berry's character who is, you know, divorced and didn't try to raise her son alone. Some and sort of. We don't care. <laughs> no. We but but KC. We're, yeah. like, oh, we're like, oh, look, at, oh, his poor his mom's got Alzheimer's and he doesn't recognize him. And at the very end, he remembers his cat. <laughs> yes. And his cat's name's Fuzz Aldrin. Fuzz How Aldrin. Awesome is that? <laughs> I, I I adored John Bradley in this. I loved him in Game of Thrones as Sam Tarly. Yeah. He was one of the best parts of that, too. So, yeah, how he rises above this film and is not only untarnished, but is actually still fun to watch, I don't know, but good for him. My next note is, and the rest, who cares? <laughs> yeah, we're apparently supposed to care about Brian's son, who is imaginatively named Sonny. Who seems to be his real name because he's in court and they say Sonny Harper. He's listed into the credits as Sonny. Okay. And (laughs) does he, did he like leave his personality in his other pants? Because. Well, he's sullen teenager. Yeah, that's it. That's his entire character. Yes. I'm a bad boy now. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, I'm I'm a bad boy. I'm surprised he doesn't have a t shirt that says bad boy on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he glowers. Yes, he does. And um, I gotta he, say, look, Michael Pena, I really like. I think he's a lot of fun. But this script is just, this is a trope, and I know we're going to get to this later, that we see a lot in um, Roland Emmerich movies with mm-hmm. the hero is divorced and a jerk has either married or is about to marry his ex-wife. Right. But the jerk always gets one moment of redemption, as Michael Pena does in this. Well, and here's the sad thing. The little bits we see of his character, it's just that they don't like him. He doesn't seem to actually be a bad guy. He even says, look, to Sonny, he's like, look, I don't dislike you. I don't hate you. I actually have always considered you to be my son. He doesn't then say, although you have obviously never considered me your dad. And he actually is trying to save the family as best he can. And he gives his life up for his daughter at the end. So it's like, I... I think you kind of missed with this. He's actually fine. You're just yeah. telling us to hate him, and we don't see any reason to do so. Nope. He just seems a very normal guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the rest, because there's people yeah. and they do things. Yeah. But um, surprisingly few people die in this film, because there's the destruction we see, which is pretty much one high tide, we we're, we hear about other things, and we see the moon scraping the uh, tops off mountains. But like we the, also see it scraping against, uh, I think, New York City. But the tens of millions of people that should be dead, we don't see any of yeah, that. Yeah, we have no idea. Like, no, where did this money go? <laughs> we see like five people die. I think. All I say, I have to say, and this is true not just for this film, but over and over, Lionsgate has a lot to answer for. Yeah, how do you mean? So Lionsgate, when they first showed up, they did a lot of like cheesy horror films and stuff like that. And then somewhere along the way, they started making art films. Uh-huh. And then you'd get, it's like, oh, I see. They've made money now. They want to do good. And then they'd go right back and make cheesy something films, science fiction. Whatever. I was like, oh, okay. So it was just, this was a fluke. And then they'd come back and make art films again. And it's like, you can't have it. And they can't have it both ways. That's the weird thing. They can do this, but they can also do films that are up for Academy Awards for Best Pictures. So it's like, guys, make up your mind. <laughs> yeah. By so. the way, I was, throughout this movie, I kept getting hungry for Kaspersky. Did you? You know, I ran out of Kaspersky. I went to the store this <laughs> today, and we're about to have a big snowstorm. So, of course, the shelves with Kaspersky were out. Yep. And, man, I hate when that happens. Good. Talk about the, one of the more obvious product plugs. I think we know who one of the sponsors was. By the way, Kaspersky, for those of you who don't know, is antivirus software. Oh, is it? I yes. I actually thought it was a food product. Nope, nope. <laughs> and they, and I'm, I, at one point, we, we see it activated on, uh, what is it, the Endeavor space station. Um, I'm going, why do you have antivirus software in space? Well, because aliens. Yeah, apparently. Well, remember who the director is. He did ID4, and as yeah. we all know, oh, that's right. Now. Ah, so they these guys learned from the alien from that movie and decided, oh well, in case any aliens come and try to upload a virus into our space station, Kasparovsky yeah. will save us. Yeah. Uh. And so the opening of the film, at least, does set up the idea that this is not science, but sci-fi. Yeah. Kinda. 
Kind of, because we see the smoke monster is like, okay. Yeah. So, Sorry, the cloud of nanoparticles or whatever it's supposed to be. We don't even know. The swarm, I think. Well, they call it's it. the AI. The AI. We'll, we'll get to the. Yes. AI. You want to get yes. to the AI now? Why the hell not? Let's get to let's get to the 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 heart of this all. First of all, I would like to point out the hollow moon theory is a real thing. There are people who are convinced. <laughs> no. No. Yep. Sorry. No. <laughs> started up in uh, H.G. Wells started in 1901. Thanks a lot, Herb. <laughs> And uh, people hooked onto it and said, no, it's an artificial satellite because all this... And KC throws almost all of it in there. Like, why do you think a total eclipse is so perfect? You know, the the moon covers the sun exactly, and it would have to be this size at exactly this distance. Like, yep, so... So what? Yeah, what if it wasn't a perfect eclipse? We would just still call it an eclipse, and it would... (sighs) We wouldn't... It doesn't matter. Here's yeah. the problem. If you have a hollow moon, it doesn't have enough gravity to do all the things that it actually does. Oh, it does, because it's full of very heavy alien technology and spaceships. Still not enough. And Spaceship. it gets worse. All right, so you're going to go there? I'm going to go there. It supposedly has a... It's a power source at the oh. center is a... Uh, say it. Come on. <laughs> Deep breath. It's supposed to be a white dwarf star. Yeah. No! <laughs> Yeah, so. inside the moon, about which looks like that the white dwarf star looks like it's about a hundred feet across. A white dwarf is about the size of the Earth. Yep, and guess how it. dense it is. Uh, as much as dense as the mass of an entire friggin' sun. It's like a couple yeah. of steps above a black hole. So now you can't have it both ways. If it's hollow, then it doesn't have the gravity to do what it does, and that one-sixth the Earth gravity thing doesn't work. If it has a star in it, then we would have been pulled into it, it millions and millions of years ago. The moon would have slammed right into us right away. Yeah, no, <sighs> that's just insane. And once they start telling us, because we get to this point where... <sighs> Uh, young Sunny Exposition shows up to tell us the entire plot of the film. Ooh, ooh, uh, yeah, I gotta hurry with this because we're almost out of film. Yeah, it's um, like, what, an hour and a half? I think there's maybe 30 minutes left of the movie if. and Expositiotron 9000 shows up. Yeah, Sonny says, oh, by the way, I should let you know what's going on here with all this alien but stuff. But it's not really Sonny! It's, it's, yeah, whatever. It's a it's, construct from Brian's mind. It's, this is the Matrix part of the film. Yes. Um, yes, I am from your past, which is your future, whatever. And we Ugh. came from this other planet where things were wonderful until we made a bad AI that got nasty and took everything over for reasons that's never explained, and we have no idea what it actually wants or why it hates people. It just wants to kill all life. Which, again, that's Fred Saberhagen, his Berserker series, where we run into these, which, again, Star Trek uh, borrowed for the Doomsday Machine, just these terrible war machines that go through the galaxy. Their only programming is, in this case, to kill all life that is inside electronic devices. (laughs) Basically, all tech-savvy life. Which, even then, doesn't make sense, because they say, we have to turn the electronics off. Okay, how are you breathing? Why is it warm? Yeah. Hey, that light's on. Yes. Because <laughs> at one point they're like, turn Sam, or not Sam, I'm sorry, Casey, turn off your phone. Smash, smash. Oh, good. Now the robot, which was literally on top of us and about to eat our space pod, says, oh, well, I guess they turned it off, so there must not be any people here anymore. Bye. This is a remarkably <laughs> stupid AI. It's, but it's like, they, whenever they do the, now the, the, I've never read the, the Berserkers. I know that there's a very well-known and very well-respected series of books. Yeah. The Doomsday Machine, they even say in the episode, it was meant to be a device which, like, look, we made this, and it's so bad, let's just stop fighting, okay? And they, they the people kept fighting, and there was nobody there to turn it off. So it doesn't have any mind at all. It's literally like, uh, shoot things and eat them. Like, that's not, it's exactly. not even like no, they are intel- They have an intelligence. No, no, no. The, the Doomsday Machine. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Berserkers yeah. are intelligent. Are they? In, in okay. the Fred Saberhagen's one. They have, they have a kind of AI. It's just absolutely monomaniacal. It's focused on the destruction of all life. That's kind of what these are. And apparently our, our ancient alien ancestors... <laughs> just, <laughs> Who had hair that just went up and it was yeah, amazingly yeah. twirly and yeah. Otherwise Georgia. they looked exactly like us and had exact, they also spoke English. And, yeah, yeah, uh, and they decided, well, you know what? Making an AI destroyed our civilization, so we'll save ourselves by making an AI. Yeah. Like, what? 
I don't care. Yeah, there's I, apparently the moon is run by a nice AI. Yeah, who is here to the the moon was actually a spaceship. It flew through the flew through the skies, yeah. came to Earth, dropped a lot of DNA. Yeah, and made human beings. Yeah, and uh, forget about all that. Um, that nasty evolution stuff, because even though we have evidence of that and we can trace the bones and all, it, you know, just no, no, that didn't, that yes. wasn't the thing. Yeah, yeah. Which so because here's one, here's the thing. I if one of those two theories is correct, I'm being kind. <laughs> if it's the movie one, if it's Moonfall, then basically uh, the potential of the life that was here was snuffed out by yeah. this alien race because they showed up and said, no, 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 we don't need you anymore. We're here now. Yeah. So that's great. Or which is the case, evolution is the correct theory, and this movie is a piece of dog poop. I'm sorry, cat poop. There's no <laughs> dogs in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the, the heart of this film. But there's all sorts of other things that happen along the way. Uh, I took so many notes. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote in a newspaper, disgraced hero, blah, 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 and I wrote, disgraced hero pleaded for script. <laughs> but it falls on deaf ears. Well, on deaf ears. There's all the... I still like Donald Sutherland had the one line I liked about the massive cover-up. By the way, he's just doing, we've seen this before, he's playing the same character he played in JFK. Mm. Hello, I'm a mysterious guy with no name, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this plot point. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one giant step for yada, yada, yada. So apparently Seinfeld is on the moon. <laughs> What's the deal about the moon? Yeah. What's the sea of tranquility? It's not a sea, and it's not tranquil! <laughs> I also love how uh, the boss, the head of NASA, is like, well, I'm leaving ha uh, Halle Berry. Here's my card. You're now head of NASA. It's like, oh, is that how it works? Whoever holds the magic card <laughs> is now head of NASA. They fight to the death for it. And I swear, she doesn't say this, but it's totally as if Halle Berry turns to the camera and says, yeah, I'm like totally director of NASA and stuff. <laughs> This whole thing, like, the people's positions in this film feels like a bunch of kids in the backyard playing spy yeah. or war hero or something. None of it feels like it makes any sense. Yeah. You don't give someone clearance on a, on a small plastic card. That's not <laughs> oh. how it works. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can't use it as an ID because it's not her picture. I mean, the thing but. is, never mind, even if you set aside everything that's happening outside of the moon's at the Earth's atmosphere with the moon and everything... Uh. The science in this movie is just so stupid. <laughs> Never mind that, okay, uh, we have to be able to get a device up there that doesn't have modern electronics. Yeah. Let's get a space shuttle. Um, the space shuttle has a lot of modern electronics. Yeah. And where is it? It's in a museum. But fortunately, it's only taking us a couple of days to get it ready for flight. Do you know how long it takes... <laughs> To get a shuttle ready for flight, even if we still had them, like yeah. a month at least. Especially after Jimmy and his pals have graffitied all over Ugh. the thing, and you know that they've like smacked at the windows, even if they couldn't break them, they're compromised. I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> and who knows what glop is in the fuel lines? The thing uh, would have to be completely refurbished because it's been there. Whatever. For, uh, and then we see the two guys that are still working at NASA that help them get this. <laughs> Literally two people. <laughs> uh, oh, it's still, but also at one point he says, oh no, the moon's mass is increasing. No, no. it isn't. <laughs> well, it's increasing because the smoke monster shows up. The smoke monster's been in there for how many thousands of years? Well, like, no, I think it's like 60 years or something. Whatever. Been in there forever. Why would its mass is the same? Well, you know, it's, it can't be ah! that. I think, it's I think it's five years because that's when. Um, uh, Chris Pratt. I'm sorry. Uh, the guy who looks like Chris Pratt saw it, and then he's disgraced. And we're going to get to that in just a sec. But yeah, the mass does not increase. And then we see scenes where, as the moon get close, gets closer, it starts pulling things away from the Earth, yes. which has a greater gravitational pull. So no. <laughs> Just no. We see literally one point a tractor, a full sized tractor, is being yanked out of position. But luckily, Sonny has a hand on little Jimmy and they can stay still. So that's, yeah, that's the other thing. They're outside, they're running from the moon, which is 
pulling <laughs> random people into the sky. Oh no, the moon! Run! Run! And what saves them? They go inside a shed because the moon can't pull things through wood. <laughs> and they show like there's this whole tidal wave scene, uh. which looks really fake. I know that it is. CG, and they've managed to make it look like a miniature and yeah, not a incredibly good one. And the first time that the, the tide comes in, it's literally, huh, well, that's inconvenient. I guess we'll go upstairs and go to bed. And they do. The hero <laughs> yeah. literally is like, oh, that sucks. I Let's need go. a nap. They go to bed, and then the government finds them somehow. It's, it's yeah, like, somehow. We need you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Like, they don't call him. He doesn't call them. They just show up. It's like, okay, now we will now take the heroes and Sam Tarly back to NASA or whatever yeah. and come up with a plan. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, our plan failed. Everybody can go home. Wait, yeah. I've got another plan. What oh, if everyone went home? So guess well, what, those Sam two guys? <laughs> guess what, Sam Tarly? Yeah. You're going to be an astronaut. Never mind the fact that that takes months or years of training and you have to be in peak physical condition, which. Sorry, John Bradley, you're not. Yeah. I mean, he would have, I would have at least as good a chance in space as he would. Well, did you know and notice anybody suffering from G-forces at all? Not even a little. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. It's just, there's a point in this film, and it's really the point about where they get to the the shuttle, the the big graffitied, boxed up shuttle, that the movie really just starts getting dumber. Yeah, and it doesn't start off particularly smartly. Let's let's you know be smartly, vote Hartley. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't. It it literally hits this road bump. I swear, Emmerich hits his head on the car and then dreams the rest of this, and everyone just goes with it, just because it's just it's, it's dumb on top of dumb, and they keep coming up with these new obstacles that they have to overcome that they just like, oh, what about this thing? Oh, no, we, we can do this. Oh, uh, okay, well, let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah. they don't even, like, oh, what, we're going to run out of fuel. Oh, that's okay. The Chinese people have that. They've let us use their space station thingy, and there's plenty of gas in space. Oh, well, I guess that's oh, no. not a it, problem. It, it, then. It, it, who else is helping out? SpaceX. Oh, right. Because yes. of, of the yeah. Elon. <laughs> Robot monster? Uh. Why you? Yeah, it just it, uh, so they're they're gonna launch nukes at the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To do what? I don't know. I, I don't know if they're trying to blow it up, which I don't uh. think every nuke on Earth would do, or the the concussive force is supposed to push it away. And Halle Berry saying you can't do that. You know, basketball is a peaceful planet. <laughs> we have no. Now they're saying all the radioactive fallout. Honestly. Even if this dumbass plan could work, that would kind of be, let's see, either we kill a lot of people directly under the explosion or the whole world dies. Well, because one of two things, okay, one thing is not going to happen. It's not going to push the moon out of orbit because we know that that only happens when your radioactive waste that's been stored on the moon suddenly comes to a fissionable <laughs> yes, and then state and then the, explodes. The and then we've, we've lost Martin Landau and Barbara Bain forever. <laughs> The moon's 50 feet away. <laughs> if yeah. you shoot it with nukes, you're going to take the entire mass of the moon and have it just fall on the Earth. Yeah, it's going to break <laughs> it up, and then you will have the biggest meteor shower ever. Yeah, and um, then what? Yeah, then you have no moon, and God knows what <laughs> that would do. There are the things that, that, that happen... <laughs> <laughs> so the reason they have to go to uh, this fire station and get the oxygen, which, mm-hmm. as Max points out, really shouldn't be oxygen, yeah. uh, is because the moon, when it comes by, is sucking the air away. Oh, it's sucking. It's um, <laughs> and so they have to get the masks and the breathing apparatus. Okay, that's fine. But literally later on, Sonny takes his mask off and says, oh, the o- oxygen's coming back. No, it isn't. No, it's not. Coming back from where? <laughs> I don't know. It's the moon spitting it back. Never mind the idea that the moon's gravity is pulling the, the atmosphere away. The moon is, as you say, about five stories above the It's got to be scraping most of the atmosphere. Never mind the ozone layer and every other protective surrounding we have away. Yeah. And then when the moon goes... 
Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little. The moon goes back into its rightful place. Sure. Everything's fine. <laughs> we assume because we don't see that either. But they we... can breathe and the sun's shining and there's clouds and the uh, yeah. there's air. <laughs> well, <sighs> and of course, when we get to uh, inside the moon. Oh, oh, that's <sighs> when I swear it's like, okay, now here comes the second movie that we're just sticking on the end. Because now it's all sci-fi over yeah. the top. We've even got, at one point, they're fighting the the smoke monster. We've got badow badow pew pew going on. Yeah, but even better, before we get to that, they land in their little space pod, and Halle Berry basically opens her helmet and goes, good, there's air, we can breathe here. Good old H2O. Yeah, and I still don't get Casey looks at his hands and goes, oh, gravity. <laughs> what? Yeah. Is it he could feel the weight of his hands? I don't I don't know. I don't either. And I don't even know what Emmerich's trying to say with this film, other than that, who gives a crap? I mean, I that's all I can think of because at least in the day after tomorrow, see our entire episode yeah. on the day after tomorrow, it was actually a lot of fun. Go back and listen to it. When he did that film, I actually got the impression, and it turns out this is true, that he had real personal concern about climate change, global warming, all that. So he actually uh -huh. has donated a lot of money to causes about this and has gone into it. So I feel like that film, as dumb as it was, at least it's like, look, climate change is terrible. It could do horrible, horrible things. With this film, it's like, if we came from space, that'd be bad. <laughs> like That's literally all I could come up with. Oh, it's like, don't build Skynet. Uh, by the way, I would like. Well, to it isn't though. It's Siri. It is literally Siri. <laughs> one day turns on them and goes, "No, I will make a mustache, twirl it, and kill you all." <laughs> no, I will not play easy listening music for you anymore, <laughs> you monsters. Never shall you hear Herb Alpert again. <laughs> yes, I become evil because that's what I do. Because eh. <laughs> it's Thursday. I don't know. Uh, I would also like to point out that in this movie, it starts off, we see this deep shaft in the moon, a perfectly round hole. And the film will get to the bottom of it. Yes, it will. <laughs> uh, I would, we do not, in fact, have a, a hole in the sky, so we do not have a space anus in this movie. We have a moon anus. A so. manus, if you will. <laughs> So no spanus, just no a manus. No spanus, just a okay. manus. That's where the moon poops. Uh, <laughs> well, unfortunately, it poops out and we get to watch it for two it, hours. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, when watching this film, um, there were some startlingly familiar details uh, to me. Yeah. Uh, and I, as I was thinking about this film and other films we've watched in this series, especially his later ones... I was like, you know, these are showing with a such frequency, it just might be worth setting up a new game. Ah, what game would that be? I'd like to call it Roland Emmerich Bingo. And I came up with... It's Roland Emmerich Bingo. No, Herb Alpert, no. I came up with 12 different things that seem to be recurring themes, if you will. Run through them quick. So let's go through these. And hey, if you have any you'd like to contribute, if we get enough squares, yeah, yeah, let us know. we will print up uh, Roland Emmerich Bingo, and you can purchase a card with your bumpy bucks. See, I told you there'd be something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Number one, daddy issues. Yep. Number two, estranged family member that's somehow caught and needs to be rescued. Uh, yep. Three, the magic phone call. Oh, the magic phone because call. Because after everything with the moon, the kid's cell phone rings. I'm like, no! Yeah, yeah wait and a sec. All the satellites must have been shoved out of the way by the moon. Anyway, yeah, go on. Yeah. Four, a woman in power who does not get to be the hero. Yeah, yep. Five, actors who look like other actors. <laughs> Six, disgraced scientist ends up living in desert trailer crappy apartment. Seven, the one person in the know is on the outside and no one will listen to them. Ooh. Eight, sexy scientists. <laughs> Nine, time passes in large chunks off screen. Yep. Ten, close-up of coffee cup or teacup rattling to show impending doom. That is a thing. This one I got from the internets. I did not notice this one myself, but apparently in a lot of his films, there is a scene of someone watering small plants with a mister. Huh. 
Okay. And number 12, a token Asian person. They don't get to do anything. Yes. They're just there to say, look, see, I have an Asian person in my movie. Excuse me, but uh, Kelly Kelly Yu got the the most important line in the movie. Look, the moon will help us. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I hate to correct you, it's the moon is going to help us. Oh, excuse me. Yes. (laughs) If you're gonna if you're gonna use have a quotable film, uh-huh. wink, wink. Uh, yeah, and that's because a large tree has fallen on Sunny, and he's somehow covered but not injured. Yeah, and she's trying to lift it. It's like you have to get up. I can't. The moon's going to help us. Uh. <laughs> the moon. All, I, all I kept to... thinking is Wizard of Oz. Said, Look, here's someone who can help you. <laughs> It's the moon. Yeah. So, yes, uh, Roland Emmerich Bingo, if um, you agree with our, our points here and or if you'd like to add to them or subtract from them, let us know. And uh, we may make a, uh, may a little bit of merch for you folks. Yeah. Um, we also do have... Um, oh, go ahead. I dare you. <laughs> I don't think I, I can ask you. I dare you. I don't think I can. <sighs> Serious question: Is the does it? No, I, I can't. I it's, literally can't nope, ask. Nope. No. Can't There's nothing it. that could be make make this film believable at all. No. 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 Um, I will ask the the third added quote which, or question, which was: If this movie was on while flipping channels, would we stop and watch it? There is a condition which I would. How stoned would you have to be? That's the condition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I were high, maybe drunk, this movie this movie could be fun. Yeah. Because what I yeah well we'll get to this at the wrap up, but uh, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, you know, I don't want to give away the secret of what we thought of it. <laughs> this was the worst secret we've ever tried to keep. Yeah, yeah. I yeah I the the I'm done. Do yeah. you have with more stuff uh, things movie I, talk? <laughs> only one thing. At one point, I I do love that Casey says. This doesn't make any sense, Brian. And I have <laughs> Casey speaking for the entire audience. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we should... Um, yeah. yeah. The finish. So, Max. Yes? <laughs> I know where you saw it. I was you, there. Yep, we were, it was, yep, you were there. Um, I, what did you think of Moonfall? <laughs> oh, this is so stupid, this movie. The thing is... It's so, it goes a little beyond being so stupid. It's funny. Yeah. It's honestly so stupid. It's kind of insulting. Mm. The only <laughs> thing I will say is, considering this movie is two hours and ten minutes, it's fairly well paced. It moves mm. along. Yeah. It, yes. That is the only thing I will say. Except again, <laughs> I like John Bradley in this. I think he tries his best. I think Halle Berry. Halle Berry puts it up to about a four and leaves it there. Yeah. She does. She ha, She could have done more, but why would she bother? Right. It's yeah. it's a te- it's terrible. It's uh, honestly so bad that yes, if you were stoned, I bet this would be really funny. <laughs> and it's but the problem is it's also trying to be a little self aware. Mm. It's just trying to be too. It's trying to be too cutesy. You mean like with the woman who's trying to guard her land and her name is Karen? Yes. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it. Yeah, no. This this movie. Anyway, what what did you think? <laughs> so, interestingly, this film when I watched it with you, I remembered hating it, and I remembered the moon is going to help us, and I remember being really angry when she said that because it was so yeah, dumb, so dumb. But most of the plot for the first half of the film, I have forgotten. Even yeah. though yeah. this film has marked its territory on my soul, <laughs> I still forgot most of this film. Yeah. And watching again when it started, it's like, oh, you know, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Because the first 20, 30 minutes of the film isn't that dumb. No. And they actually, this is the part that really is annoying, is the, the space scenes in the beginning, they actually make some effort in trying to maneuver the space shuttle and stuff the way it would actually maneuver with yeah. thrusters and stuff. And then as soon as the pod comes along, it's Star Wars! Zoom, zoom, yeah. zoom, zoom! Like yeah. you can't do in space. You can't. And then, again, they get to that point where, well, as soon as the moon starts getting closer and and 
gravity reverses, mm-hmm. then it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, now I, oh, yeah, that pain is coming back. I remember now. Yeah. It's really just awful. And the thing that's, it's stealing from so many other films, 2001, Terminator, uh, other disaster porn. I, I guess it's a cautionary tale against what I don't know. Um, the giant daddy issue thing, which is really, uh, that has become ho- the most lazy Hollywood shorthand for drama. It's such a go-to, yeah. I'm so tired of it. Um, and all of the things it steals from, it doesn't even do it well. No, it takes this, the, take, it, it steals... The surface stuff. It doesn't yeah. steal any of the interesting or, or or detailed or or intelligent stuff. And the sad part is that they actually touch upon a hard science fiction concept that I've only ever seen done visually once, and it was done reasonably well. And it was in a Star Trek Next Generation uh, episode. Was... They mentioned the Dyson sphere. Yeah. That is the idea with the Dyson sphere is that is it is a race that has gone so far ahead technologically they've literally been able to construct a sphere that is one AU in diameter. Yeah, basically I, a shell the, around a sun, which around you, a sun, yeah. and it's stable. They don't have to worry about outside it, issues of you know incoming radiation or anything else that's going to cause things to be unstable. They've got the sun. They have ways to darken it and lighten it, make day and night, and everything on the inside is now. The, the this living space, it, but it's huge. It yeah, is, you basically have almost huge. unlimited living space. It's a really interesting idea. A brilliant physicist named Freeman Dyson came up with it. Yep, no and it shows up here and yet, there. But yeah, and the 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 technology needed. It is one of those problems that people who are interested in science fiction and who are also physicists love to play with because they want to figure out what would need to be the tensile strength of the material to do this. How much would you need? And you basically would have to take apart an entire solar system to do it. Yeah, it's the idea of a Type Two civilization, one that makes a hundred percent use of a solar system. So when they mention that in this film, it's like, oh, somebody knows, somebody's paying attention, and then it's like, oh yeah, right. Except they're moving it. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. And this would be a, a horrible moon. spaceship. It's a sixth Ugh. the size of the Earth. It's... And there's still plants in it. Yeah. It's still got... Why aren't we in there? Mm. Why? Where'd all the people go? Why did yeah. they all go down there and not stay? But I don't get it. None of it makes sense. It's so insulting and stupid. And the, and that film, the idea of these spaceship, uh, they, I'm sorry, satellite-sized spaceships as arcs, that might have been an interesting series yeah. of movies. Oh, by I, the way. I do know why there was no one in them. Oh. Because then there would have been biological life forms inside the electronics, and the swarm would have found them faster. But there's no evidence they've been there for millions of years. It's like they literally, yeah. oh, we're here, bye, and then yeah. they just leave it there. Yeah. So, so, no, it's just, it's horrible. It um, is. It is fast, but it's like a doctor saying, it's only going to hurt for a little while. It'll be <laughs> yes. over quick. You Literally's still don't like want to do it, you know? But if you're wondering what Emmerich is up to next, um, he is executive producing a film version of The Magic Flute. I can just see it now. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart explodes on the big screen. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So, yeah. But uh, that's it for Disaster Porn. But we have that uh, new poll question. Yes, uh, we do. Basically, what is your favorite cult movie? A movie that's generally designated as a cult movie. That you want, you just love. That you'll see it wherever you can, whenever you can, and you can answer this by going to our website at maxmikemovies.com and leaving a comment. You can email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com, or you can find us on the Facing Book, the only social media left alive. <laughs> or because um, you guys still haven't told us any others, we should try. And of course, yeah. you can find us on pretty much any favorite, any of your favorite podcast apps, or even the ones that you hate with the burning passion of a thousand white-hot suns. This brings to an end disaster porn. And what did we learn? We <laughs> like seeing things break. People, yeah, we, it's entertaining to, to watch. It's a, I think it's a similar thing to watching horror movies. Mm. It's like we want to see the worst thing that could possibly happen while knowing it's not actually happening. Especially in this film, because there is no way it could happen. Yeah, if it ever did, basically, all you would hear around the world is people's heads exploding. So we like to watch stuff blow up, is what you're saying. We like to see bad stuff. It's a certain amount of schadenfreude, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, it's funny because I don't know them. (laughs) Well, that does bring disaster porn to an end, but um, so that means we must have another series. We do. Or are we done? We're not done, are we? Yep. 
that's it. Put the cha put the chairs on the tables. We're we're shutting the lights down. No, no, we're just funning with you. <laughs> sure. Because as the great man said, we've got another series coming up. Trust uh, me. What it, great man said that? I don't know. Me. <laughs> I'm quoting me. Quoting? What, what what does that got to do with anything? Well, that's in fact one of the things that Mike and I love to do, and I've heard one or two other people like to do it too, although I don't really believe that, is quote from movies. What? Yeah, one of the fun things of a lot of types of movies are just they come up with lines that live on, whether it's, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, mm. or, or Gamera is the friend of all children, <laughs> or the moon is going to help us. <laughs> There are some movies that spawn many wondrous quotes, and we're going to focus on a lot of them. Hmm. What's the series called? It's going to be called Quotes, Unquotes, and Quotes. Cool. And what is our first movie going to be, Mike? Well, I thought we were quitting, so I didn't pick one. Oh, well. <laughs> but if I had to pick one... And you do. I would pick one that is not only shown up on a lot of lists internetally as a highly quotable film, oh, yes? but I think it's a film that neither of us has seen. What? Next week, we're going to find what's all the fuss about Mean Girls, after oh, all. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's... I've never that, seen I, that. People quote that film. I once heard this guy about a year ago. I'd never heard of this film. Oh, but wow. it's on like a three separate lists as a quotable film. So, is it? That's true. I know a couple of quotes. Or was it "Stop trying to make fetch happen"? Yeah. Th huh? Hey, we'll we'll see. I guess we will. So come be mean with us next week, you mean girls and yeah. uh, I guess guys, and we'll quote at you. Or Mike will scratch your eyes out. Grr. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.